Good morning. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been to Arlington Cemetery? If you have, just raise your hand. You've been there? It's, uh, it's a very um, moving experience when you, you know, watch the, the hills through that cemetery just kind of row, and it, it seems as though those stones, you know, those uh, tombstones just go on for, you know, infinity, you know, and, I, and it just, the, the degree of sacrifice that people have made for our country, for you and I. It's hard to even begin to understand it. I walked through there um, when we had gone to Washington, D.C. just a few years ago, Janine, and I was looking at some of those tombstones. Some of these kids, 17 years old, 18 years old. Some of these tombstones recorded, you know, in the 1800s and whatnot, and, and you see so, and it's just absolutely amazing. These lives that were laid down for you and I uh, thought they were forgotten. And then there, there was I reading the names of that young man who had given his life for us, ultimately, for the freedom of this country. And then it spans through the, the, the coming decades and generations where uh, young men and young women with valor still put their lives on the line that you and I can have uh, liberty and freedom secured, Right? And that's a, that's a very, very powerful thing. And the scripture says, no greater love is there, right, than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. What about laying down your life for a stranger? What about laying down your life for a stranger? That's what these people did. That's what these people did. And the scripture says to render honor where honor is due. So this morning, before we even get into the scripture, I want to say thank you to every man, every woman who has died for the cause of freedom in this country. You and I may look at this nation and say, man, we're a, a jaded mess. And there would be an element of truth to that. But there is no other place on this earth that I would rather be than this country. With all of its issues, it is still the greatest place on this planet. And for that, uh, I am grateful. For that, we should be grateful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. Listen, we're back in Exodus. Uh, we're in chapter 34. Um, last week, just to give us a sense of where we're at, we actually finished up uh, chapter 33. We actually covered 33, verse 18 through 34, verse 7. So we kind of slid into chapter 34. So I'm going to give you a sense of what's happening here as we pick uh, up the Scripture this morning, okay? Uh, last week, we had started with a portion of Scripture uh, where Moses had said to the Lord, pleaded with the Lord for the Lord to show him his glory, right? And then God says to Moses uh, in response to that request, then I will allow my goodness to pass before you, right? And he was equating his glory and his goodness to one another. And, and we talked about that. We talked about the goodness of God. And then uh, his goodness was then expressed through two attributes, and one was mercy. Remember, we were talking about what the word in the Hebrew meant uh, for the term mercy. It, it literally meant like the stooping down to an inferior, the bending over. That's the image we have of God in his mercy, bending over to you and bending over to me uh, graciously. But it was also in his compassion. And then God directed Moses to do something really, really unfathomable to some degree, he says to Moses, chisel out two tablets like the first tablets. Remember, Moses had broken the first two tablets. He had come down, he had seen the people's rebellion, so Moses breaks the first two tablets, right? And it's kind of a, I said last week, it's a literal breaking of the covenant tablets and a metaphorical breaking. It represented the people's disobedience in breaking the covenant with God. And so God then says to Moses, you are to chisel out tablets and then I will rewrite on the stone. I will write the commands or the, or the, the, de the decalogue, if you will, 
Well, the incredible thing about it, and I tried to communicate this last week. I'm not sure if you got it or, or if you didn't get it, but the reality is that stone tablets probably, beyond any shadow of a doubt, let me just say it like that, uh, were not as perfect as the stone tablets that God had created, right? Because the scripture says that the stone tablets were the work of God. And the words on it, the writing of God, right? So when Moses was asked to chisel out the stone tablets, you have to understand that they were not chiseled out to the level of perfection that God would have created those tablets. And it kind of reflects with an understanding of how limited we are in uh, trying to accomplish the perfection of God, right? Now the beauty of it, the beauty of it, and what I want you to understand is that you and I are the imperfection, the flawed tablets that God writes upon our hearts, His covenant and His command. These aren't my words. This isn't my thought when I say that. If you go into 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul literally says that very thing. This is what he says. You should know that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not, listen, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Right? So that you, you see this beautiful image where God does his work. He did it there in the Old Testament in chapter 34. He makes his declaration that he's going to do it on this second set of uh, tablets, uh, chiseled out tablets. But the reality for you and me is that God has done that very same work on our hearts. Amen? That is an awesome thought. And then the scripture uh, uh, pointed to, and, and we alluded to the fact that God preferred obedience of Moses over the perfection of Moses. He wasn't looking for the perfect tablet. He was looking for obedience. As a matter of fact, Moses works through the night. The scripture says he arises the very next morning early to go up the mountain with the tablets. Meaning what? that Moses may have stayed up all night chiseling out those tablets, but the chiseled out tablets would have been irrelevant had Moses not climbed back up the mountain where God had told him to climb back to. So when he gets up there, it is the obedience of him coming back up there with the stone tablets. It wasn't a measuring of the stone tablets. It was the, the preference of the obedience of Moses to the command of God. Right? We're, we're tracking there, right? I'm, I'm not took a hard left or a hard right. I've not lost anyone, right? Okay. You, you, have, you, have to, you have to check, right? You have to inquire. Uh, and then the last thing before we move into this is this thing where God makes a declaration of himself. Remember that? When he says, oh, man, you're talking about beautiful, right? When he comes out, he makes this beautiful declaration. He said, I will declare myself. And then he comes out and he declares all these beautiful attributes. And then he declares the fact that he would also judge or visit uh, uh, the, the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons who are reproducers of the iniquity. We explained that. We, under, we, we explained what that actually means. And we explained that it, it wasn't this, uh, the, the culpability of the children for the sins of the father, but it was actually the idea or the notion that the sins would then be replicated in the lives of the children and they too would be disciplined just like the fathers would be disciplined, right? And so we said, as parents, we need to consider our conduct and our actions, understanding that this may be something we're sowing into the lives of our children, and the same discipline that is expressed in our lives will then be expressed in their lives. Right? The beauty of all that, before Moses climbs up the mountain, was that God has expresses this graciousness and reveals this graciousness. And that graciousness preceded the obedience of Moses. Much like it is the grace in our lives that energizes our obedience. Right? And so that's where we're at today. That's where we're at today. So we're going to pick up chapter 34 Verse 8 and verse 9. Now, because we were talking about the grace of God being revealed, there's a couple things right off the bat that you have to understand. And when I say these things, you're going to be like, yep, been there, done that, experienced that. I understand what Trina's saying. Because this isn't this deep revelation. It's just a, a, a basic principle of Scripture and truth. 
And it's found right here in verse 8 and 9. Let's pray. Let's pray before I get into this because you need to be praying for me before I get into this. Yes, you do. So let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I feel like a racehorse waiting for the gates to be opened. Oh, God, I pray that in this moment you'd give me a peace and a calming in my spirit that I can deliver your word effectively, not to the credit of one's skills of, of uh, uh, persuasion or, 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 or uh, mastery and craftsmanship of words, but, oh, God, through a demonstration of the power of your spirit. That's what we ask for this morning. Not for eloquent words, but a demonstration of the power of your spirit. That your son and daughters may benefit by gathering together in your presence to worship you and to hear from your word unmarred, untarnished, unblemished by the reason of men, including myself. Oh God, this morning, may I be hid in your spirit, by your spirit, that nothing said this morning, Lord, which stray from the truth of your word and may it empower and strengthen the hearers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm. Exodus 34, verse 8 and 9. Two things are in this scripture that are a direct reflection upon being exposed to the grace of God. Let's look at them. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. <laughs> right? Right? I'm telling you, let me just say that, man. And that's an automatic given, isn't it, isn't it Janine? You know, when you experience the grace of God, I mean, there's something in you. When you see him in his fullness, when he makes his declaration and he lets you know who he is, I'm telling you, if you can hear it, see it, and understand it, the only reasonable response to the revelation of the grace of God is a response of worship. If an individual is in a setting or an environment or in a place where the revelation of God's goodness is being revealed and their response isn't one of worship, it is because they do not grasp what is being revealed. I'm, the automatic response to that revelation should be that of worship, and Moses does that. The scripture says right there that Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Then this is what he says. This is the other thing that every time I get close to God, every time I find myself being drawn into an intimate, dynamic, a dynamic type of response from God in my life, this is one of the things that is revealed to me. And you... you you check and see whether it's revealed to you, okay? Moses says, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. He's just acknowledging that God had already said he's doing this. Although this is a stiff-necked people, watch what Moses says. He doesn't say, forgive their sins, their wickedness. That's not what he says. You know what he says? Forgive our wickedness. Forgive our wickedness. Forgive our sin and take us as your inheritance. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, every time we're exposed to the glory and the graciousness of God. And remember, that's what he said. He said, show me your glory. And then God showed him all of this goodness. Every time we're exposed to the glory of God, what it brings to light for you and me if we're being honest, is our own deficiencies, our own lack. We are not being compared to one another. You may look beautiful compared to me, but I'm not the one you're to be compared to. I'm not the one you're being measured by. I'm not the standard. It is God. It is, it is Christ Jesus. And every time we see him in his fullness, what it does for you and I, it just overtly exposes every bit of the deficiency that we have within ourselves and the lack. And not only the lack, it then presents to us the knowledge and the understanding that it is in, only in Him that that lack is then covered. You know what I'm saying. Now, I love the words that Moses uses here. Stiff-necked. Stiff -necked. Now, you're like, hey, man, that's a generational thing, man. 
you know, that, that, that was something describing the children of Israel. Let me say to you, let me say to you, hey, we all are a little stiff-necked. We're all, some of you are a whole lot stiff-necked. You know what I'm talking about? Valerie over saying, I know what you're talking about, Trent, pointing at her husband. I see what's going on. No, some of you are a whole lot stiff-necked. As a matter of fact, Stephen uses those exact same words in reference to the high priest when he's being, what, stoned to death. He's about to be stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, and he says this of the high priest, the children of God. You stiff-necked people. I wonder if he looked at them and threw up the quotes. Moses, quote, you stiff-necked people. So he wouldn't be charged with, with uh, you know, uh, uh, robbing and, 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 and stealing someone else's creativity. You know what I'm talking about? Plagiarism. I wonder if he quoted them. You stiff-necked people. That's what he said. But then he gives, it's not just alluding to them. He gives a description of what makes them stiff-necked. And he says this, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. So let me ask you this. When I inquire of you, are you stiff-necked? And you say, I don't think so, Trent. How would I know? Do you resist the Spirit? Oh, that's the real question. That's the real question this morning, isn't it? Do you resist the Spirit? I ain't talking about, do you resist raising your hands in church during worship? I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about in your home. When the Lord, when the Spirit of God, the truth of God's Word says, I love your wife. Do you resist because she made you angry? When, when the Spirit of God says, love your, your, your husband, do you resist because he didn't take out the trash? When the Spirit of God says, give, and you say, but I've got other things I want. Do you resist the Holy Spirit? The reality, the reality is that the vast majority of us have exhibited traits of being stiff-necked. And we do it in the subtle things of resistance to God's Spirit when God is trying to lead us and guide us and direct us a certain way. We just continue to buck up against it. Our, our necks are, are, we are, are chafed to pieces. Where the yoke of God is trying to stir us this way, we fought against it. The bruising and the wounding of our own spiritual man is present where we resist Him. Right? I'm not the only one who's experienced this, correct? And then the Lord says this. Let, let, let me just read. He says, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. Own this thing, man. Own this thing. And take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, now this is so good. This is so good. This is actually an answer to a question that Moses had, per, uh, 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 had, had proposed previously. When he said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, what's going to distinguish us from all these cats out here in this world? All the other people. So here's an answer to that question. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before all your people, before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. I will do for you. Now look, there's a scary proposition made right here. God is telling them, man, I'm about to do wonders that you've never seen. Now what wonders had they seen? The deliverance out of Egypt, the great plagues, but all of those wonders that they had seen were predicated on what? On a need for the wonder. So when he says, now I'm going to begin to do wonders like you've never seen, you can almost imagine in their hearts and their minds thinking, what need is going to be presented that God would then have to extend himself greater than what he's extended himself so far? Look where we were at for him to do what he did. And now he's saying he's doing something greater. Where's that going to put us? Because the reality is this. Provision is revealed in need. 
Right? Right? Protection is revealed in threat. Restoration is revealed in decay. So you can automatically see and assume that their minds may begin to start to turn in that direction, that this is a declaration of God's provision, but at the same time, what might this accompany? And so we want the provision of God, the protection of God, right? We want these things. But those things are typically fleshed out. My young, sin, my young sister, Lynn, her parents live in Guam. She's from Guam. And they just had, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the news or not. Super typhoon hits Guam. Winds in excess of, I think, of 160 mile an hour. Super typhoon Mawar, I think. Mawar is the name of it. Hits that. I mean, devastating. 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 A great need is present. And it's God's proving ground. And this morning, a portion of what will be given to her will come out of everything that was given in that blessing bowl to send to her parents who have nothing, literally lost everything. But it's not just the blessing bow that's going. A little something, something's going with it. <laughs> Her parents are going to witness the goodness, the power, and the majesty of God presented in the face of an ugly devastating, traumatic experience. But in that experience, God says, that's where I will show myself. And we run and we hide from places of need, places of threat, places of desperation. And in so doing, God is looking for a, a, a platform by which to show himself to be the very thing that we need. But we dare not go into a place of need. We would rather be self-sufficient than to allow God, the providence in our lives, to work his goodness and his, and his, and his, and his mercy and his, and his grace. Because to be in that place is too terrifying and too scary. And what he tells Moses right there is, I'm going, I'm going to do something like you've never seen done before. And then he says this. And the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, not you, Moses. What, not you. Whatever is, let me grab it. We need some new tissues. Those two, I embarrass myself. Listen, the work that we do here at the church, the outreach, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the outreach that this church does for the size of this church is astounding. Do you know why? It isn't the church. It isn't the church doing that. You know who's doing that? I'm going to tell you who's doing that. Let's quote this scripture. I, the Lord, will do for you. That's who's doing it. How can a church this size have a greater outreach than the, the, the size of the church? It's because it is the outreach of For the podcast listeners, it's the outreach of the Lord. Right? Mm. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is looking, he, he's always looking for a people to work through. And things aren't always planned, right? Things aren't always scheduled. Sometimes opportunities present themselves and you're blindsided by them, man. And you're just thrust into the limelight, man. And you didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. You didn't work behind the scenes to get it. It's just thrust on you and you're put out there and it's because God has chosen you to be that person by which he'll show himself. And you just have to be willing to go along with the ride, man. You know what I'm talking about? And enjoy this thing. Make yourself available. And let God show off. And let God be God. Mm. 
Let's move to the next verse. This is what he says. He says this. Listen. He says, I, the Lord, will do for you. And then he says this. Obey what I command you today. No, no. you got to watch this. You've you got to watch this. He said, obey what I command you today. Upon obeying, this is what God's going to do. I will drive out the six ites, right? It's the six ites. That's who he's driving out. The six ites. Now, when the scripture says, obey what I command you today, the word obey is shamar in the Hebrew. It means to observe, to guard, to watch, and to get better tissues. But there's a word that it equates to, which is used in the New Testament. It actually means not just to guard, to watch. It means to walk or be circumspectly. You know what that means? You know what circumspectly means? It means live your life with your head on a swivel. Being aware of everything that's going on around you. Literally. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Every parent in has got a kid under the age of seven, eight, nine, maybe ten. Every time you go into Walmart, you know what you're doing. You know what you're, you're literally visually interrogating any individual that comes within 20 feet of your children. You're walking through Walmart. This is you walking through Walmart. You know this. I see you and run into you. That's me. Circumspectly. What? I'm observing. I'm watching. What? Threats. Threats. Why is that? Because we perceive that to be a place where threats may be presented. What God is saying to them is in this spiritual realm, there's always, there's always a perceived threat out there. And we have to watch our lives. We have to manage our lives with our heads, spiritual heads on a swivel, man. You can't get just locked in there. You have, man, I'm telling you, you've got to take it all in. You've got to be able to see, Jack. And that's what he's saying. And this is what he says. He says, Obey what I have commanded you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. Right? Right? That's exactly what he said. Right? You know what he said? Now notice that is conditional. That's conditional based on the obeying. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Obey what you what, I, what I, have, I command you today, and then I'll, I'll drive out the six ites. You and I want the ites driven out without the obedience, right? Bad news. Don't work like that. Don't work like that. God's looking for a person, looking for men, looking for women, by which he can express himself, right? That he can drive out the ites in your life. Every one of us have ites. Now, your ites, well, you look different than my ites. You got some ites? I got some ites. We all got little ites, right? It's like ice cream. You know what I'm talking about? You scream ice cream, we all scream ice cream. No, ites, 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 right? And we all wanting God to drive out our ites, but are we willing to be obedient, right? That, that allows God then to what? To facilitate the driving out. Right? There's some culpability, right? You got to own some of this. But, and he says this. Now listen. <clears throat> he says, be careful not to make a treaty, right, with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare among you. Notice what he, what he said right here. Now, uh, first, first, note the be careful not to make a treaty. We're going to revisit that. Just put a pin in it. Notice what he says here. He does not say they may be a snare. He says they will be a snare. They will be a snare. You go back to Exodus chapter 23, verse 33. The scripture says this. Do not let them, the six ites, that's who he's referring to, live in your land. Why? Or they will cause you to sin against me. How? 
Because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. He's reiterating this very thing. And he's not saying they may. He's saying absolutely will happen. And we journey into these, these arenas in our lives where God has already told us not to journey into. And we think to ourselves, well, man, I'm a, I'm a lot sharper than the other guy. I, I can navigate this and I can get out of this a little quicker. And I'm not going to uh, absorb the amount of damage and, 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 and catastrophe that the last guy did. And I'm sitting back watching this kind of stuff and I'm like, man, you followed fast, Jack. I watched me, I talked to me, I, when I was in the manufacturing facility, I'd, I'd go to, I'd talk to guys and they'd be talking to this lady, they, they're married, and I'd say, hey man, don't, you don't need to be, he'd say, hey Trent, I'm, I'm just being a good co-worker, friend, I'm not, you know, I love my wife, and I'm like, don't be doing it, it's not, this ain't good, brother. Six weeks later, he's in a divorce, they're in an affair, and you're like, did you think you were the exception? You thought it might be a snare? No, man, I'm trying to tell you it was a snare. And you can watch it happen, right? We watch it happen. Then he says this. Man, this is heavy stuff. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He said, not only, man, don't be mingling. Don't, be, don't come into a treaty with these people. Don't be mingling. Don't be, you know, don't, don't be embracing their, their cultural understanding and their lifestyles and their idolatry. And all. He said, not only don't do that. He said, man, you got to get rid of this residue. You got to get rid of this stuff, man. There's no place for this stuff. There's no place for it. And this is the thing he says about you and I with the issues of our own hearts what degree are we allowing things to remain in our lives that have produced in the past death? And then the real question is, why? Why are we allowing things to stay put in our lives when we know it's produced time and time again? Destruction. Mm. And then this is what God says about himself. Check this out. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Is a jealous God. Now this isn't referring to some shallow childish human emotion. But it emphasizes that God will not tolerate a divided heart. You know what God is saying? There is no other God like me. There is no other God. And I love you. And I will not allow you to live with a divided heart towards me, separated towards another that does not exist. I am a jealous God. My name is Jealous. And what was he jealous for? Them. And you think, what is my value? What is my value? I can tell you your value, wife, to your husband. I can tell you, you let the wrong cat slide up on you and you'll see it. You need to stand down, brother. That's my wife. You know what I'm talking about? You'll see that jealous. He's not, he's not, he, that, that, that's not, that's not some childish or ridiculous emotional position. That's a position of love that he's willing to protect his wife. God, similar to that says to you, I love you so much, when those who come to steal your, what? Your affection for me, I'll stand between you and them, and I will declare to them, stand down. But you must declare it too. I belong to him. I, I don't have a heart. I don't have a heart to give to a false god. My heart's been given away. I'm already in a relationship, a covenant, a marriage, if you will. Hmm. And then he says something, and he reiterates. This is kind of odd. This is the second time in three verses, so there's something to be said about this. He says, be careful not to make a treaty. 
And we're closing. But I want you to see, I want you to see the decaying process of compromise and how it's laid out in these last two verses. This is what he says. Be careful to be careful not to make a treaty. The second time it's used in the last three verses. Do you know the idea behind this? Is the idea of falling into a treaty. Right? Be careful. It's blindly entering into it. Subconsciously entering into it. Subtle. Subtly entering into it. All great spiritual and moral compromises and failures begin with a subtle compromise. You know that? You know what the word subtle, the definition of subtle is? Let me define that for you so you'll understand where I'm coming from. So delicate or precise as to be difficult to analyze or detect. I didn't even realize I was compromising. I don't know how I got here. Wives who have left families and children. Your counsel on the backside of it will say, I don't know how I got to this place. Husbands who have done the same say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how it happened. I don't know where it began. It was so subtle. And we're talking about our spiritual relationship to God. And God is saying, don't fall into a treaty with these people who are idolaters who hate me. Why? Well, let's read the scripture. He says, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they, listen, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, listen to this, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. When the subtle compromises are made, there is then the seduction of the solicitation to come into a relationship that abhors God. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see? And he says they will invite you in. And when the compromise is made and the invitation is given, you know what God says? God says, and you will eat. You will do it. You will fail. You will fall. Not that you might, but you will. Once you start down that slippery slope, this will happen. Mm. They will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And then he says this. The process has begun, hasn't it? The decay process, the subtle treaty, right? The invitation, the eating now. You know what he says follows after that? Watch this. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, do you not see that? The treaty, the seduction, the partaking is followed by deeper choices. Choices. Initially, initially, it was you who were being destroyed. But now choices that will end up destroying generations that will follow are now being made. Do you see it? And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, listen, they will lead your sons to do the same. And do you know why he's telling them this? Because he's a jealous God who loves them. Yeah. 
it's a process. The decaying's a process. But I've watched it happen too many times. I watched people who once were fervent and intense and passionate for the Lord come into treaties with culture, come into treaties with, with ideology, and come into treaties with uh, 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 the popular vote or whatever's politically correct or whatever it might be. They come into, into these treaties, and then all of a sudden the seduction of that takes place, and then the eating at the table happens, and then choices are made, and then layered destruction is then uh, uh, expressed in their lives. It's a process. But that's not an Old Testament truth. That's a New Testament reality. And the brother of Jesus, that being James, says this very thing. What, listen to what he says about the process. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are, watch this process, dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. The seduction, the treaty, dragged away. Come along with it. By their own evil desires and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Gives birth to death. And God is reestablishing with his children a covenant that they had broken. And God is taking it upon himself to restore this and redeem it. And the words that he's giving them, the truth that he's speaking to them, should not be falling on deaf ears. They are literally just days removed from the very violation that God is addressing. And yet it is needed to be addressed. Why? Because we so easily forget. We leave places like this with a constitution in our hearts and our spirit that are secured in Jesus, or so we think, and we get out there and we're challenged by the world, and we so easily forget what he has said and what he has done and what we've committed. And then we come back into a place like this and we feel like strangers to him. No kidding. No kidding. I, I, I hope you haven't made a treaty. But if you have, break it. If you've made a treaty and the invitation has come, don't keep it. And if you have fallen for the invitation and you're at the table of the enemy, don't eat it. If you made the treaty, right? The invitation has come, and you've eaten from the table. Stop. Stop. Stop now before the seeded destruction that we sow into the lives of the next generation comes to fruition, and we watch the destruction of those that we love take place, born out of the decisions that we had made and we had contributed to. You see that? So wherever you're at in that, Wherever you're at in that, there is a decision to be made. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. God bless you. Stand with me just for a moment. Just for a moment. With your heads bowed. And I say this, you guys know this, your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Enter into that closet of prayer. No one can enter into that place with you right now. It's dark. It's just, you're in a closet. Close your eyes. Just, you're in that closet. You and God. You and God. You and God. This is 
you and God this morning. Where, where are you? This, this is no bait and switch. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and ask you to come forward. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to ask, I may ask you to raise your hand, but it's not to call you out or to bring you forward. If I ask you to raise your hand, it's because I want to pray for you. I want to be praying for you. And this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, don't be looking to the person to your left or right. Go ahead and just, this is about you and it's about God. Let me ask you this morning, where are you? Would I say, would it define you this morning if I said, are you a tree maker? Oh, God, forgive me for the treaties I've made. Forgive them, Lord, for the treaties they've made. Are you already at the enemy's table eating? And you found out what looks so good doesn't taste good at all. I would say to you today, by the grace of God, remove yourself from the table. That table. There's a better table to eat from. And it's the Lord's table. You say, Trent, I've already suffered so much from the decisions I've made. But I don't want my children suffering. I don't want my children suffering. Well, let me say this to you this morning. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. God doesn't want your children suffering either. He doesn't want that passed on to your children. He don't want that learned. He don't want that embraced. If that's you this morning, any of those places, no one's calling you up front. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you and for you this morning. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, I see you. I see you. That's all right. That's all right. At least you know the tree's been made. At least you know you're at the table. At least you know the subtleties of the enemy hadn't blinded you from the reality of you knowing so, Father, in Jesus' name, this morning, every one of us, every one of us, Lord, have experienced those subtle compromises, the falling into, man, and wondering, how did I get here? How did that happen? Some of us have tasted. Some of us have sowed destruction. And yet, even on the, the far end of this thing, Lord, when we cry out to you, we are heard, and you respond, and your grace is provided, and your mercy is given. Your goodness passes by us. And is expressed in us through Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, for my brothers and sisters who have raised a hand this morning, wherever they're at, whatever is going on, I pray for them now. I pray for them now. That you would do a work in their hearts, a work of restoring. Restoring. Would you write? Would you write your law on their hearts this morning in Jesus' name? Father, you've said, if we confess you're faithful and just to forgive us, what? Our sins. And to cleanse us. From what? From some unrighteousness? No. From all unrighteousness. Oh, God, that very scripture we have clung to at times in our lives and we have cried out for mercy and forgiveness and you've granted it and you've restored us. And Lord, I even look back in my own life and to my own amazement, the amount of grace and 
mercy that has been poured out upon me that I would stand here in this place and declare your truth is astonishing. And so I look out through this congregation and I say, there's no one hopeless. There's no one outside. If I can be reached, anyone could be reached. If I can be redeemed and restored, anyone can be redeemed and restored. There is no decay that is so set in so deep that your restoration isn't still applicable. So, Father, we cry out to you in the name of your Son, in the name of Jesus, and we ask you this morning to restore us, to forgive us, to breathe life back into us, to bring us back home into a relationship with you, Lord, in its fullness. That's who you are. That's what you've always done and you always do. Let that be the truth in each heart of each person here at 100 Opson Way this morning. That we leave here knowing, knowing that we've been rescued. We've been rescued. And so, Father, we bless your name. We thank you. We trust the work of your hand expressed through the life of Jesus, our mediator, our champion, the change agent. He's the change agent that produces life change, real, eternal life change. And we are grateful. We bless you this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we thank you, and the sons and daughters of God said amen. Amen. God bless you.